Welcome to Resilience Unraveled. Hi everybody and welcome to Resilience Unraveled, a podcast that examines all aspects of personal and organisational resilience. A huge all-encompassing subject that covers the ability to thrive in life by harnessing your cognitive, emotional, physiological and contextual abilities. I share stories from people who have thrived despite remarkable obstacles, as well as highly successful practitioners and experts across a range of topics. And this podcast introduces their amazing stories and expertise, as well as my own reflections, perspectives, strategies and tips, which come from my own synthesis of themes and trends from wider learning. You can go to qedod.com forward slash extras to access offers, tools and resources, including free articles and ebooks. For those of you that would be interested in supporting our work and contributing more proactively, you can find our new Patreon page at patreon.com. Then search for Resilience Space Unraveled. So, let's get started. Enjoy the show. Hi, and welcome back to Resilience Unraveled. Um, and today, Catherine Ford is joining me from, by the sounds of it, the USA. Is that Catherine? That's right. Whereabouts are you in the world? Well, I would say broadly USA. At this, at the moment, I'm splitting my time between the East Coast and the West Coast. So I used to be completely based on the West Coast, and uh, that's where I did the majority of my training and practice. And now I'm there and also uh, in Rhode Island on the East Coast. Right. Rhode Island. That's uh, New Yorkish, isn't it? That's sort of part of the world, or Bostonish? It's, it's New Yorkish, yes. It's one of the original 13 colonies and uh, a, a tiny little state that, as they say here, is mostly water. So. Actually, I think it's a it's a, one of those trivia questions, isn't it? Rhode Island is something, a tiny state or something. or Something uh, like that, something yeah. Like that. Anyway, enough of me waffling on. Uh, tell me, tell us all a bit about yourself, Catherine, if you wouldn't mind. So my work, which is probably what we're mostly going to talk about today, is um, working with relationships. Um, I came to that through uh, many years of working with couples as a psychotherapist. And I was working with couples as a psychotherapist because in the beginning, when I started my practice and was doing a little bit of everything as one does, I was increasingly aware of just how important relationships were to the people I was talking to. And it started to feel like it would do a better job if I had the whole relationship in the room, not just one piece of it. Mm. And uh, as the um, uh, American playwright Tony Kushner says, the smallest human unit is two. And uh, the longer I work with couples and other relationships, the more I realize how true that is. Mm. Do you think... Um... Being a couple is a natural thing. Um, it all strikes me is that just about every relationship you bump into is uh, fraught with all sorts of problems. I just, I just wonder whether we're actually designed to get on in. Well, I like the, the question. Relationships. Yeah, I like the question because my answer would be: it's very natural to be a couple, and it's very natural to get in trouble with being a couple and have difficulty with it. Mm. Um, I think the statistics are that, despite the divorce rate, about seventy-five percent of all human beings, at one time or another, will attempt to be a couple, and then the divorce rate and and the rate of those relationships that don't divorce not doing so well speaks to that it's that it's very difficult 
Um, and I think the important thing about how natural both those things are is to realize being in a couple and or other major relationships in our adult lives is the major way that we continue to grow and develop as, as adults. And uh, that's why it's so difficult. And I think when, when people make the mistake of thinking that it's difficult because there's something wrong, wrong with one of them, wrong with the relationship, uh, we're the wrong match, um, usually that's not what's going on. What's going on is there's a lot of learning to be done and it takes us a while to figure out how to do that. And, and it's important to stress that that's the learning is to be done about the relationship for the relationship. Because I think sometimes we often grow at different speeds or pace, paces yeah. or rates, don't we? And people grow apart that way, don't they? They don't invest in the relationship as an entity in itself, perhaps. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's certainly part of it is realizing that the relationship is probably the single most important thing you can do for your own happiness and pursuing your own happiness separately doesn't usually result in happiness. Um, and, uh, and yeah, couples, sometimes people ask me what's the most important thing to look for in a partner, people that are trying to find the right person. And I usually say, look for somebody that really likes to learn and uh, is interested in learning because most of what you will need to do once you're with this person is figure out how to learn together. Uh, and that's, I think that's a very telling thing. It's quite a mature approach as well. Cause I mean, I get continually frustrated in my work around this idea that people tend to look for a type. Uh, right. without understanding what a type is and what that means and how restrictive it is and such like and actually that's just based on a sort of biological pairing type thing exactly. but, but, but but I just wonder whether actually there are different relationships with different stages in your life but it's it's almost like um the way a company grows isn't it you know the, the yeah. CEO you have as a venture capitalist firm is very different yeah. to a large corporate and I, you know you often see people in the 50s with different relationships to those in their 20s or early or late teens or something yeah is there, is there an argument, and I've always had this feisty argument with another psychotherapist colleague of mine who say, you know, who, who, who proposes that any relationship runs its course after 10 years. Do you have a view on that? Um, if you don't keep learning together, yes. Yeah. Um, in fact, I would say 10 years is a long time to go on what you brought to the relationship. Mm -hmm. So I'd say it's less than that unless you figure out the learning part. And yes, it's very like a company relationships have have their um, their entrepreneurial phases they have their startup phases and then of course there's the acquisition when you start having children yeah uh, so there's a lot of things that are very much the same and uh, the trick is you know a, a a couple at best does figure out how to help each other learn and part of what frustrates couples is that they're trying to do that but the technologies that we're taught for that are, are very wanting and as you see um, in your in your work with organizations also wanting there I mean there's a lot of basic understanding about how human beings communicate and learn together that that people are lacking and once they know um, better ways to do this and better ways to help each other then then things get a little easier yeah that's a, that's a useful metaphor wasn't it the the children thing seems to be one of the challenging areas because a lot of couples have children to save their marriage which is by mm -hmm. its very nature a, a, a forlorn expectation the couple you know couples tend to lose themselves in their children and then mm -hmm. they have nothing left when the children go and it, and it's and it's it's quite an interesting point isn't it that um child rearing it's very and it's very nature has completely changed the way that relationship operates yeah. 
I mean, yeah. in, in, you know, probably my parents' generation would say that children were not at the centre of, the, of, of uh-huh. the parental relationship. They were an adjunct, an adjunct. Now it's completely reversed. You know, parents put themselves very low down the pecking order to have their children as sort of prima donnas within the relationship. So is this something to be pessimistic about for the future of relationships? Uh, yeah, a little bit. Um, it's, it's very important that the couple realize that both things are going to happen. It's very natural that they prioritize their child's health and well-being over themselves and each other. But it's also true that the nurturance for that child, all of it, will come or not come from how well they do as a couple. So it's a little bit like that thing on the airplanes that they, when they say secure your mask first before helping others. I mean, the couple needs to not only be well themselves as individuals, but to realize that the main task of the family is to help the children um, learn how to be with other people because we're very social and we're very interdependent with each other. And how can, how can you help your child learn how to relate if, if you're not doing a good job of that as the primary leaders. I mean, there are only, they're only two grownups in most families these days. And, and that's part of the reason that there is needs to be such an emphasis on the couple. In the days when the couple was a part of a very much larger family and social group, yeah, it wasn't so important what you emphasized because there was a lot of people around helping each other and it was a lot more of a group phenomenon. These days, it's more likely to be two adults trying to raise one to several children. And the quality of their relationship makes all the difference, including it gives them the energy to sustain the very energy requiring demands of being a parent. And that's interesting, isn't it? From attachment theory at the very beginning to helping launch your children into the world. This is part of resilience, isn't it? The learning phases Mm -hmm. for the couple with children. Yes. not for the couple to learn despite children it's it's yeah. you know I was just talking to yeah. someone with extreme anxiety today and, and they're talking about not allowing their child to go to to see their grandparents because because that child didn't want to which is the uh-huh. very thing you know parents parents had to do that thing where they're launching children they're right. teaching they're showing and they're enabling they're showing right. children how to tackle fears yeah. otherwise we end up with a with a completely resilient resistance generation which is what's happening, isn't it? I, I don't know whether we model um, resilience enough as couples, you know, whether we face our battles shoulder to shoulder and, you know, help each other when we fail so we can bounce forward and learn. I mean, that's, which is what you're saying relationships are about, I suppose. Yes, exactly. Yes. So how do you, how do you work with couples to, um, to build that sense of shared adventure or shared um, forward momentum? Um, I would say one of the centerpieces of doing that is is dialogue. Um, And what that means is that couples need to go, as as most people do, one of the big learnings, I think, in life that we're missing um, as couples, as organizations, as individuals, is that conversation is not essentially very much at all if it's if it boils down to a debate if it boils down to a checking in about who knows what and then trying to figure out whose ideas are better that's not much of a conversation and the kind of conversation that's enlivening and that builds towards resilience is a conversation where two people are exploring together and learning how to move out of this either or adversarial mindset into something that's a lot more about a collaborative construction of an exploration 
uh, is I would say one of the big starting places for helping couples to understand how to how to be resilient together and how to learn together. Can you talk about uh, in your approach something called learning partners model? Yes. Could you unpack yeah. that a little for us? Yeah. So yeah, that gets back to the idea that learning is probably the most important thing the couple needs to do. You know, I tell couples, couples often come in saying, you know, we think probably we have too many expectations where hopes are too high. Probably you're going to tell us we, it's not like that and we should just settle. And once the honeymoon's over, it's over. And actually, that's not what I tell them. What I tell them is that being in a serious relationship is going to be very energy requiring and demanding. And in order to meet those challenges, you need an inspiring vision, a mediocre vision, or the idea of we're just going to go along to get along doesn't inspire anybody to do their best. And so you need a vision of something that's rather grand to aim for. And then you have to add learning to that. You need to realize that that vision is a vision of what you're going to learn to do together, not who you're already supposed to be the day that you say I do and put the ring on the finger. And so learning how to support each other's learning, for instance, couples often get in each other's way of learning when they fail to recognize that once you've got your partner's attention and agreement to look at a certain thing that you think is problematic, you actually need to change your strategy radically from from advocating for your idea of what we what we need to look at to actually supporting your partner in their own attempts to look at it and that's a, that's a big shift and so there are things like that that couples don't initially understand in order to make the whole process easier and more mm. successful so so going back to that that's that, that's interesting that you talk about having a was the corporate BHAG sort of vision. But is it not the size of the vision, but the size of the difference in individual visions, which is the issue here? Because you often find people, if you have, you, you often find people who have very unaspirational visions, but are right. extraordinarily happy because they both have the same vision for the want of an extra word. I was trying to think of another right. word, but I can't, right. there's no better word. So uh -huh. is, it, is, is, it, is it the difference rather than the actual vision itself, which is the issue? That's a very interesting idea. Um, I think that that's right. Not all couples want the same relationship. Mm. And so some couples actually aren't, in, aren't necessarily in or wanting to be in the kind of relationship that I'm characterizing as learning partners. Yeah. Um, that actually is a rather large vision of what an adult relationship can be. Um, and you're right, some, some people come together initially with, with different aspirations. Um, for instance, they both want to have kids and they're not particularly romantic partners. They just are getting on in their years and wanting to have kids together and they do. And I know a few couples like that and that's a different vision. So you're absolutely right. This isn't everyone's vision and having the same vision matters a lot. What then can happen is that what started off as the same vision of, of okay, let's just kind of take care of each other, be domestic partners and have a kid or two. Now you go along and maybe one person changes what they want and they start to feel like, well, this is actually isn't all that I want. I actually also want someone to share my life in other ways, someone to share my ideas, someone to go traveling with, someone to be excited about the learning that's involved in an adult relationship. And then you have you have the problem of differences, which is a ubiquitous problem in any relationship. And I think that's the point, isn't it? That the, the different stages in relationships create these different aspirational changes. I remember uh, Robert Rankin talking about this idea of reality gaps. 
that we live our lives for many many years and suddenly we wake our eyes we wake up and goodness and say goodness where I'm, I'm 43 for example yeah. where's my life gone and you know suddenly with this huge reality that actually you know it's time to change it's time to do that sort of thing right. and I think it's you know that's that's the thing isn't it that's the point where one one person suddenly speeds forward and can risk losing the other person because they leave them behind and, and there seems to be a seems to be a midlife thing isn't it with one person putting their sort of metaphorical carpet slippers on and yeah. sort of settling almost. Yes, yes. Um, yeah, I, I have to admit, I'm very biased toward the idea of learning. Um, Carl Jung, he was, who was maybe our second father of modern psychology after Freud, um, Carl Jung was very um, involved with the idea that at midlife, if you don't transition to a new agenda, you're likely to stagnate, get depressed, not be a very happy person. Yeah. Um, another person who has spoken well for learning is uh, George Valiant in his now famous studies of about 600 adults and their adult development. What he found was one of the strongest correlates with being a happy adult was had you continued to learn. And so I, I actually am a pretty big advocate for the idea that it's not that easy to separate learning from happiness. And in fact, even at the neurological level, what we know is that when we learn, which means when our brain connects new synapses, uh, it also releases dopamine. So we get a kind of an instant tiny little reward mm -hmm. in the, in the uh, form of a dopamine package for, for all of our learning, even you know, just learning to uh, hit the baseball better. We, we yeah, like yeah. learning and our brains like learning. And so we're designed for a, a, a self-reinforcing of learning. So I'm actually not that on board with uh, advising couples to think about possibly just staying where they are because it doesn't tend to work out that well. They do tend to need to keep developing individually and as they do that as a couple. Oh, yeah, and sometimes that means the end of a relationship as well. And, you and know, sometimes it may mean the end of a relationship when yeah. one person simply doesn't want to do that and the other person really does. And again, I find that's the biggest, the most important thing to be matched on is how interested are you in the learning project? Yes. And uh, if one isn't, the other isn't, it's not, it's not going to be easy to stay together. Yes. No, no, that makes a lot of sense. And I think as well with um, uh, people generally living longer as well, that the um, the need to build that sort of process into the couple's yeah. uh, world is really important because obviously you can atrophy and, um, and your idea of neuroplasticity is right in the sense that you can still be learning. You learn differently in your 50s, 60s, 70s and 80s, but you're still learning and you're learning yeah. about different things as well. I remember... Um, as a Peter Atiyah talking about the um, uh, Centurion Olympics, which is mm -hmm. everything it, uh, you should be able to do with a hundred. So you start getting yourself ready in your fifties to right. be able to lift grandchildren up above your head and all, and right. to be able to get in and out of a, a chair without needing um, assistance yeah. and such like. And so it's building that, you know, that sort of um, physiological learning is as important as book learning, for example. Right. Right. Yeah, which is, you know, very related to your to your large overarching idea of resilience. The the big idea here is that resilient, as far as I'm concerned, it's all about resilience. One of the things that I noticed in COVID was when people would say to me, oh, have, have couples just like 
cratered because of COVID or they're having terrible problems. And actually what I saw was two different populations, people that did not know how to innovate, that were not resilient, were having more difficulty than usual. And people that did know how to be resilient and innovate during this time uh, were actually sometimes having, having a very good time and actually discovering things that they didn't know they were lacking, that they started to explore. And, and innovation and resilience seem to be the key element between, in terms of how well people are doing. And I'm, I noticed I'm speaking in the past tense, but we're really still there in the, in the phase of innovation about this. And uh, people talk about COVID fatigue. And there again, you come to the idea of resilience. Like, can we afford to get fatigued with resilience? Maybe, in fact, this is showing us that really we had lost track of the fact that life is a continuing process of innovation every day that we wake up. Yeah, and I think that's right. I think there's two, it shows two different forms of resilience or two different parts of the process. One is just the gritting your teeth and hanging on type. And the other, which is the you know, learning from it and innovating, which is what you say, you know, it's yes. part of our process. Yes, gritting, gritting your teeth is what I would call forbearance, but not resilience. <laughs> Weathering we stood the storm, we call it. So, right. so apt at the moment. Catherine, right. you and I can talk all night because sadly we agree on so much. Sometimes yes. it's, it's lovely to talk to people that I agree with and um, because we can have a lovely time, but it's time really for you to tell everybody how to get in touch with your work and mm-hmm. um, in particular the course that you're launching in January. That would be yes. fascinating to, to, to learn more about it. Yes. So yes, I will be teaching. Um, I usually teach a course every quarter with Stanford Continuing Studies Program. Um, and I will be teaching the winter quarter. My course will happen on January 22nd and 29th. And enrollments are open right now. And probably the easiest way to find your way to the right page of that course is to go to my website and you'll see the link there. And my website is katherinefordmd.com. And Catherine is spelled K-A-T-H-R-Y-N. And you can also find me on Facebook. Yes, I'm told you have to remember to call to mention Facebook. So Catherine yes, Ford my, is on Facebook, everybody. I am Let's also say. on Facebook, yes. You're also on LinkedIn, according to your site. I'm on LinkedIn, uh, and I think I'm on Instagram also. So there's a lot of ways to find me, but all of it is available through my website. Brilliant. Excellent. Well, it's been absolutely fascinating to talk to you. And uh, as you can hear from our conversation, Catherine uh, has probably forgotten 10 million things uh, more than I ever knew about relationships. So um, please go and have a look at her site and have a look at her work, because I think um, she's got something unique and different to say. So thank you for spending time with us today, Catherine Ford. Thank you, Russell. Great to be with you. Excellent. Well, you take care. Hi, everybody. I hope you found that episode useful and interesting. Feedback is always welcomed, and if you are in the mood to subscribe to us or even leave a comment on iTunes or Stitcher, that would be amazing. If you want to suggest ideas or even people you would like me to interview, then reach out to us at qedod.com forward slash contact. As I said earlier, you can go to qedod.com forward slash podcast for show notes or follow the links. And you can go to qedod.com forward slash extras to access offers, tools and resources, including free articles and ebooks. For those of you that would be interested in supporting our work and contributing more proactively, you can find our new Patreon page at patreon.com, then search for Resilience Unraveled. I look forward to being in your ear next time around. Take care.